This podcast discusses events of a sensitive nature. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to episode 13 of the Murder Shiro podcast. Um, this is a very special episode because in this one I have a guest who will be with me throughout the episode. The guest is uh, someone who's very dear to me and also a listener um, of the podcast. So, yeah. Um, hi. Hi. <laughs> Thank you for making time for this. This is really nice. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Um, so two things that I, I, I think I have to say at the beginning is the sound quality might not be the greatest today um, just because uh, we are in different parts of the world. So we are recording um, a phone call. So there'll be that. Um, also, there may be background noises, a very boisterous dog barking in the background. But yeah, um, thank you for joining um, and for listening to this episode. So today we'll be um, discussing a case that is a decade old now. Um, and the interesting thing about this, this is one of those um, stories that broke. And I, you know, I can remember the story breaking. Do you remember the story? Do you remember when it like broke, when it was on the news? I, I, was, I was trying to remember when I was just preparing for this, for this episode, whether... I, I remember it on the news. I think I did. Um, I remember it breaking because I remember this young lady that we'll be talking about today, um, whose mother we'll be talking about today. Um, I remember she was around the same age as I was. So she was like, you know, at the same stage of life. So I remember thinking like, oh, someone um, around my age who I, like, uh, you know, I, I could relate to various aspects of her life. And what I remember was seeing it on primetime news. And there are a few reasons that I think the story uh, was, you know, so big on the news. Um, first of all, the family that the, the young lady comes from is a bit prominent. And then some people who, uh, at least one person of interest, was also like a very high-profile individual. Um, but yeah, let's not keep people in suspense for too long. Um, today we'll be discussing the circumstances surrounding the murder of Karin Chepchumba. And it took place in February of 2012. Her, her murder was discovered on the 14th of February 2012. I thought we'd just begin with a sequence. Um, just talk about her briefly, because there's not much that's known about her. I mean, she wasn't a public figure, so it's only like little, little details about her family, about her, uh, who she was and her family. And then um, her body being discovered one morning, and then um, the investigations, and then um, there was an inquest as well. Uh, sadly, though, there has never been a trial. I just wanted to mention that both of us are, um, have some background in some kind of forensic work. So we have actual like educational backgrounds in this type of stuff. Yeah. So um, I'll be eager to really... Yeah, this is, this was the excellent case to really like... Um, yeah, to talk about... In the process. Yeah, I'm also glad that we're talking about this case. We're discussing with you. It's, it's really nice to have you here. Yeah, so let me just go over again um, who, who she was, what is known about like her life before that. So um, her name is Karin Chepchumba and um, she was 26 years old. Um, she was in a family, um, I'm not sure how many they were, but I, I, I gather it was her mother, her father and a number of siblings. I think she was one of the older children. 
but yeah her family were they were living here in Nairobi and for a time Karin was living with them but by the time that she was uh, being uh, murdered she had already moved out on her own she was living on her own in a place called Santonia Apartments in Kilimani so that's it's quite an upmarket area and even where her parents lived and she was an alumnus of uh, Baraton University Um so yeah that's who she was quite accomplished at 26 years old she wasn't just uh, you know hanging around she was doing she was doing it for herself From how the story was I felt like she was also fairly independent Yeah The last one of the last people to see her alive were the people who were uh, the guard at the place where she lived like the the the, the gate guard or the here in Kenya they are called watchmen the watchman was one of the last people to see her and the watchman at her, where she lived Santonia apartments he reported that the last time he saw her was uh, her being dropped home on the 12th of February 2012 the night of 12th February 2012 both the night uh, guard and the daytime guard reports the nighttime guard said that she didn't leave the house after she was dropped off and the morning guard said she usually used to go work to used to go to work leave for work uh, between 8:30 and 9 or 9:30 there and he didn't see her leaving and they both one of them I'm not sure which one reported that he also didn't see her going to the kiosk uh, the kiosk is like you know to go buy groceries nearby which uh, he said many people used to but he didn't see her that day and i think that would be the daytime watchman so that um it is said on 14th of february the morning 2012 that's when uh, her mom and her brother came to her house and then um they both went into her house into her apartment but it's only her mother who walked into her bedroom and initially she thought that she was just sleeping so she drew the curtains you know began to sort of talk to her and then realized she's not responding and then went close to her um to 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 touch her and then realized she's not uh, alive um i have something yeah go for it i have something to add to that because so the i i, I did look through different articles and one of them said it went uh-huh. into a bit more detail about how the mother and the brother found her yeah so i don't remember why they were passing by the house yeah so initially it was the brother who went in alone ah he went in alone opened the door went looked around peeped and saw her on her laptop and assumed i saw the laptop like near the bedside or something so that's what like he went like saw that and then like i don't know whether he tried to get her attention or something then he went down and then told the mother something yeah. and then they both came and then he was like doing random things in the house yeah. i can't remember the the specifics of that and then it was the mother who actually saw that she she was dead yeah. and brought it to his attention yeah so i found that you see, you see that's already like very strange it's very odd anyway, i don't understand their family dynamics but maybe i'm i'm digging a bit too much into that so when i was reading i was just like there were some distant alarm bells even just from that first account it's just like odd like you try and picture that sequence of events and there's just something about it that doesn't really make sense but yeah i hear what you're saying the other thing i'd like to add is the testimony of a watchman yeah. can also be quite powerful yes i have to say yeah. because just because you also mentioned that the watchman is the one who kind of 
was giving a timeline yeah when the, the watchmen i should say the watchmen the watchman and yeah. the time watchman exactly the observers because, you know you know honestly all they do is watch yeah to be very frank and when yeah. you're not opening the gate and closing and heaven forbid if they actually do have to um fight burglars or something yeah they are mostly just watching and they yeah. also know people's routines that's the other well. thing you know something quite specific just because they're in this position where they can recognize patterns um and then it's patterns of like everybody not just a single person yeah anyway so yeah i i, I totally hear you the, the, the that testimony even though it can be swayed i think it can be swayed using very many different means and i think it's always something to think about but um yeah, yeah i think it, it it was quite consistent especially because they didn't just interview one uh, guard they interviewed uh, the night one the data i think there were like three in total but definitely the night one and the data one um yeah so that's those are the circumstances there were also other things i think we should mention at this time they talked about although this was not in very many different accounts but about the presence of uh, wine glasses in the sink like there were two used glasses in the in the sink um yeah and then also the fact that which was like you know a, an important negative was that there were no signs of a struggle so whoever did that must have, she must have been familiar that's what they were saying uh, theorizing that she must have been familiar with them because there wasn't a sign of any kind of a fight or struggle or even like the door being broken or anything like that so yeah so that's um that's the circumstances that she was found in and i think when i remember the story breaking when they were saying you know a young woman she works for kplc she's been found dead in her apartment very quickly there was a, a person of interest and this individual at the time um was uh, quite a prominent figure in on tv um and his name is Louis Otieno he was a uh, not only a news anchor he actually used to have like his own programs and used to like direct a, a lot of uh, that kind of like news debate uh, type thing that happens you know all those political uh, discussions that they have tell me you remember Louis Otieno right um yeah yeah um also like apart from being just a news anchor what i remember the most about him he was a really good like um interviewer especially yes. like when he had politicians on the show mm. um everyone talks about jeff koinange but honestly louis otieno i feel gave um really incisive interviews and he would do his research really well he was really good at like putting people like not backing down putting people on the spot and asking those hard questions at that time i think he was one of the you know more influential and probably quite respected in his field for sure this also had like um for the young people who don't remember him he was also very you know very dapper very put together oh yeah very yeah eloquent for sure like he had this this aura yes so when he was named as a person of interest it was quite jaw dropping So the thing is about Louis Otieno is that now um I don't know if it's current or just ended but um there is a podcast um about his life. Oh. Connection issues bear with us. Okay so oh so we're talking about there's a podcast and it's uh, talking about the life of Louis Otieno 
and I actually listened to the episode, I think it was the third or fourth episode, where he talks about at this point in his life where um, Karin, uh, the Karin was murdered. And the interesting thing is he had been fired from his uh, work. Um, and he says he was at the time where he had exhausted all the places he could work. So it's like, you know, um, he couldn't get a job at that. So it was around that time. I'm not exactly sure. But it actually seems to be perhaps even within a few days of each other, him being fired and then Karin being murdered. I'm not saying they are interconnected, but that's what was going on in his life. So, but at the time, you know, it wasn't public knowledge. So to me, it seems strange that they are pushing or that they were saying that that they were saying that Karin was financing uh, Louis Otieno's lifestyle. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. But um, yeah, but Louis Otieno was quite prominently mentioned um but a lot came out cause so the nature of his relationship at the time many many of the news articles described uh, Karina as his girlfriend and apparently there is all this that's going on where her family is not happy with that relationship i think what we should talk about before we talk about uh, a bit a bit of background about Karin's family is um there was a postmortem conducted i just wanted to mention the findings and and there's also a, like an eyewitness account or a witness account at that time when her body was discovered. So I think I should talk about those two things before. Now we go into like uh, Karin's relationships. Pathologists report um, the cause of death was established to be strangulation. She had bruising in the forearm that the pathologist described as defensive wounds. So it was like defensive bruises. Um, yeah, and the the, uh, the other detail about the strangulation was that it appeared that the person who strangled her was doing it from the front because uh, the pathologist said that there were thumbprints um, on her neck. So he said, yeah, it's possible to do it from the back, but it's very likely that the person was standing in front of her and strangled her. Wait, so so she was strangled with hands? With hands, like yes. Ma- manual strangulation. Oh yeah, manual oh strangulation. Yeah. And oh she wow. fought, so she had some bruising in her for in her forearm. There's also something else that they also said. Yeah. That there was evidence of um, intercourse. Yes, actually, right. thank you for reminding me. That's actually really important. Yeah, there was evidence of intercourse. And I remember when I was, uh, when I found that out, I was like, do they mean like a sexual assault? They didn't really clarify so yeah those were the uh, like the the i guess predominant things in the pathologist report another thing was um there was a neighbor who uh it in the in one of my sources is the documentary called case files case files covered this case and in that one the neighbor had uh, two interesting things to say i think two very interesting things the first thing she said is that um there were, she got to see notes in Karin's notebook. Two notes. One of the notes said, even if we're not together, I still love you. You're always in my heart. And then another note, handwritten note said, big talk. I wish they would let me do it my way. So, yeah. So the neighbor saw that, that in her notebook. And then the neighbor also overheard Karin's dad saying, this looks like an overdose. 
there was this suicide angle in the beginning um, but you know the pathologist report was very very categorical she was buried very quickly so at the time when there is like a, a sort of a police in you know um, any kind of legal action they were speaking of like exhumation they were so quick to bury her yeah when there are a lot of other things you know coming into play right and also you would also not want to bury or contaminate any further evidence that they would find yes and and i feel like actually the impetus to kind of like that kind of thinking should come from the side of like the police or the investigation but this investigation was was weirdly deficient um it's been mentioned a lot no fingerprints were taken yeah. no dna samples or even DNA. yeah right. it was exactly. 2012 you know so there were no dna samples taken um yeah they did the postpartum did find evidence of sexual intercourse but they, i don't know if they even did any de- preserved that um any specimen for dna testing i think that's enough about the circumstances of her death later when an inquest was done because um the death has had been suspicious suspicious enough to warrant an inquest so an inquest was done and a lot of um information was gleaned from that inquest cuz many different people came to give um their evidence but um and, yeah. and like chronologically right. sorry, chrono- chronologically when did this inquest happen so th- she died quote unquote February 14 2012 yeah i think the inquest was begun in 2016 but yeah. yeah it was 2016 so four, years. 4 years later so it was 2016 and it took a while it took a while for the results to wow. come out um and you know weirdly enough part of the reason that they were saying that the the inquest delayed so much was that the DPP's office was saying key person haven't presented themselves to give uh, evidence and some of these people who are being said that they haven't presented themselves to give evidence were members of Karin's family later on the inquest came to conclude that heavily based on the pathologist report that she uh, had been strangled and that there was cause uh, to think that the death was suspicious um and was a homicide basically um but strangely enough there wasn't enough like police investigation or evidence to be able to bring a case against anybody so as we speak the case is i think it would be cold maybe lukewarm to cold and I think I think it's a good point to a good point to segue into Karin's relationship with her family. Um yes. and and in in that I think we'll also talk about her relationship with Louis Yotieno who then uh, was uh, adversely mentioned in connection to the murder for a long time and I think even up to now um yeah th- that is still something that um you know it might still be lingering from that point so um did you did you did you read or like okay from from what you read about um like her relationships like what did you think of her relationship with her family um so a lot of the information that for me um regarding like her family yeah was like the information so my opinion that she has of, of the relationship with the family um comes from what Luetiano asserts that yes. she told him. Yes. So that's that's the main thing. So obviously you know in such a case yeah 
it's always like you know it's he said she said he yes said. so there's a lot of hearsay yeah and it's also really difficult to really know but then the thing is yeah in as much as you don't want to take a side so in this case like um we'll come to our conclusions of of what we think or what we suspect yeah yeah and i'm just going to leave it to you to tell us what you found because i know you did a really deep dive the other thing is that it's also very suspicious that if a member of your family dies yeah and the investigation going on yeah and you're being subpoenaed yeah to go to the court and give information give evidence or whatever yeah that you're not showing up Um, yeah, so please, I want you to be the one to tell us about her family. Okay. Before I do this, I want to say that uh, as Madashiro podcast, I subscribe <laughs> to the Kenyan law that somebody is innocent until they are found guilty. And currently, there is nobody who has been found guilty for the death of Karin Chepchumba. There hasn't been a trial. And you see, in the absence of a trial, there's nothing that you can really say with, you know, that legal backing or the legal confidence that yeah this is what the court found so um yeah a lot of this the, the discussion will be based on yeah things that both sides have said but yeah let's talk about her relationship with her family um the thing that uh so the, i think the first thing i'm going i don't know if i should start from her family side or from what louis said what louis otieno said um, but let me talk about what Liu Yeteno said because it was it was uh, quite. I mean, if it is actually to be relied on as the truth or to be revealed that it was true, it would be very um, disturbing um, and I think very significant, very si- significant. Um, but yeah, so Liu Yeteno. So first of all, the nature of her relationship with Louis, and he talks about it. Uh, Liu Yeteno talks about it in. Let me not call him Louis like we on first name basis, like he's my body but um Luyotiano did uh, define i think for like probably for him for him it's like the zillionth time he did talk about the nature of their relationship and said contrary to what was being pushed by the media that she was his girlfriend they were just friends but uh, she was his friend and he loved her and he really felt bad uh, and a lot of like sorrow sadness at the passing of his friend so yeah, it was actually quite touching to hear him talking about her. And I was like, yeah, I mean, he really, to me, did seem like they were good friends. And um, at some point, the th- uh, this was when, when Karin was still living with uh, still living with her parents, that Louis Otieno moved in um, and became their neighbor. So they were living in an apartment block and he had an apartment. They, had a, they both ha- were living in apartments in one apartment complex. So they were neighbors uh, in that way. And he said they grew close and she began to confide in him and tell him things about her family, about her family history. And this is something I had him mention in an interview. In an interview, um, he had been interviewed by, by Case Files. Because actually, interestingly enough, they said Case Files and Dennis Onsarigo, uh, who was the main host of Case Files, they were the only people who investigated, did like investigative journalism around the case of Karin Chepchumba. So it's it's uh, a lot of uh, information is, I, I, I gleaned a lot from the only episode that's available. Weirdly enough, it, it seems there were four parts, but only the fourth part is available. But I do remember watching it um, a few times before. But um, 
in that interview with Case Files, and he also said this in the inquest, that uh, she was undergoing physical and sexual abuse at home. So she did talk about that. And a significant thing he said is that he saw her a week before um, she died and she had a huge bruise on her arm. And she looked very thin, he said. She looked like she wasn't eating well. And he told her, like, you know, you should um, get someone to live with you, a family member, so that you can make sure at least you have a meal because she wasn't looking very good. And another thing he said is that he he encouraged her to move out on her own and leave that family environment because um, things, yeah, he could tell things were not good. Actually, he mentions one particular day where he had to stand, you know, at his door and bar um, Karin Chepchumba's father from coming into his apartment and to find her and she had sought refuge at his apartment and her dad is at the door trying to get in and Louis Oteno is at the door trying to stop him and yeah this is something he said happened and uh, yeah and yeah he so because of the he knew the situation at home he said he encouraged her to kind of go out on her own um but he also said he he realized that you know she needed help that was beyond his competence so he also encouraged her to see a counselor and she was actually at the time when she was dying he reports that he says that she was seeing a counselor so yeah, I mean, it seems from the things that I read about their relationship, it seemed they were they were close. He does paint a picture of a close relationship, and I think if what he's saying is is to be believed as the truth, someone in that situation where they're undergoing physical and sexual abuse would really need a friend, someone strong to lean on, and you know, someone who you know, like Louis was, I think, a bit older than her, so had enough like life experience to be able to give her some very useful advice in a tough situation so yeah yeah what, what do you what do you think yeah and, and, and perspective so thanks that yeah. was a really comprehensive um, overview of what of, of what he knew about yeah. her family yeah. and it really does mean that, that he truly loved her mm-hmm. this man if you know like i don't know about their sexual relationship or whatever but he was a good friend yeah because i remember reading about that how he actually bodily like kept you know he kept that door closed yeah so that the father couldn't imagine i feel and i feel compelled to add the word allegedly because this is uh allegedly from, allegedly from the alleged. test from the yes. testimony of, of or from accounts by louis, of louis otieno so yeah, all allegedly, exactly. but if they are to be believed, it's you know a, a heartbreaking situation that that young woman was in. Yes, 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 and quite a desperate situation as well. Yeah, I'm... that um, yeah, that she claimed. So these were the the things that she claimed. Yeah, so these are the this is the the, the, the things about that. So now the other things that I want to kind of talk about are. Things that that kind of came out um, in the investigations, in the inquest, um, about you know, like about her family or her relationship with her family. The the one thing that really stood out is the things that her family said about her during the inquest, and you know, to me they were a bit anyway. You be the judge, but her mother said that the family hadn't lost any money until Uyotieno came to live next to them. And um, the mother also said that she used to sneak out 
of their house and go uh, visit Louis Otieno's house. Go visit Louis Otieno at his house. And then um, her, her father uh, said that they, that he discovered that she was giving a lot of money to Louis Otieno, financing his lifestyle, paying his rent, his medical bills. Um, he also said that, or it is alleged that he said that um, she, um, what what more? Let me look. Sorry, give me a second. Yeah. That no that she was um, she she had you know borrowed money from fam from from family, and even from extended family, and he came to know about it, and he did not he wasn't happy to learn about that, and he said that she even got to the point where she was stealing, and he said that she had like the 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 money is to the tune of like a few million Kenya shillings, which is a significant amount of money that they are saying that she gave. Louis Otieno. And in, in this po- in this podcast about his life, he talked about, um, because James Smart asked him a direct question, like, was she financing your lifestyle? And he's like, this is the way he answered it. I don't know. It's it's I think it's a bit open to interpretation because he gave an answer that wasn't very direct. It wasn't a yes or no. He said that Karin found something that was of interest to her and she really liked his schedule. So I didn't quite understand it. And you see, like, in the pod, in that podcast, there was no clarification given. But what I thought was that maybe she started to hang out with him, um, you know, like go for things with him. And because he's, you know, he's, he's, a, he's I guess, was living quite a uh, lavish, lavish yeah, expensive lifestyle. So, she, you know, a lifestyle where you spend a lot, spend a lot of money. Interestingly enough, the day when, when Karin Chepchumba was found dead and he was contacted by police, he was coming from a road trip. There's an account or a report that he was coming from a road trip uh, from Magadi. So, I don't know, it kind of paints this picture of a kind of like a really, yeah, lavish, let's call it lavish lifestyle. And I think to keep up with him, um, maybe she was spending a lot. I think that's what he implied. But he did categorically say that she wasn't paying his bills. He had medical insurance. Um, so, yeah, and she couldn't. I, he said that <laughs> she couldn't, like, how is he your pesa? <laughs> anyway, yeah. I don't think that's what yeah. he meant. But he was like, he said that they, there's no way she was supporting. She could, she could support uh, his lifestyle. Um, yeah, and for all intents and purposes, uh, until very, very, I guess, close to the time when that she passed away, he was working. So, yeah, I mean, that's what he said, and it it made it kind of made sense to me. I like it's it, it's all hearsay, right? So it's really very open to interpretation, and the money is really not small. The amounts that they're accusing her. A thing I want to mention is that Louis Otieno said at one point he even wrote to um, to Karin Chepchumba's dad to Kili and told him like put your nonsense aside and help your daughter uh, and it's a note that it's reported that he submitted to the police when they were doing the investigations it's a note from Louis to him um, because he says that you know she was sickly, she was unhappy, she was seeing a counsellor you know, um, so th- th- that's that's what uh, the picture that that Louis Otieno paints of of what he knew about her relationship with her family. Yeah, I'm I'm really having trouble putting it into into words. When you're grieving, yeah, 
like if this is what happened i mean i've never been in such a situation so let me just say i wouldn't know yes but it is quite odd that they would go on the offensive yeah um and this is during an inquest for their daughter's murder yeah and yeah i mean there was anyway, even there was even an uncle yeah. like i think a, a brother to her father who uh, mentioned that you know she, that behavior of borrowing financing this lifestyle of this man that her family clearly did not approve of or didn't uh, seem to approve of like because of that behavior she had been called for a meeting interestingly enough the date of the meeting was the 12th of february 2012 which was that last night that the that the that the guard said that the last time that they saw her yeah so okay so do we talk a bit more about the investigation now now that we have a fairly clear picture of the family yes actually just i just want to mention one final thing one final thing that oh, i thought was a yeah, bit yeah. a very weird thing that happened uh, between her and her between karin chepchumba and her family so it said on the 20th of october 2011 um i don't want to be very specific about the dates because we've talked about that but 20th of october in kenya is often it's a, it's a public holiday so it, it makes sense what they're describing happened but um so um it was this was from that case files documentary apparently Karin Chepchumba did not want her parents to know where she lived so she hadn't told them when she moved out to Santoni apartments she didn't want her parents to know where she's living so she hadn't told them but 5 months before her death that is in October 2011 um the date is given as 20th her mother insisted that they drop her home and then she gave them a particular address and they dropped her at that address and the address was not Santonia um so after they dropped her her father then tells her mother let's go to Santonia apartments which is now where Karin lived and wait for Karin and the mother was like huh but then they went and minutes later Karin shows up so that's a really i think weird and interesting story that she didn't want her parents to know but it seems that her dad knew anyway yeah so that was that was a bit like i feel like what we've talked about kind of take paints a picture both of what her relationship and luyotiano's might have looked like you know if the accounts are to be believed and what her relationship with her family might have looked like the last people who we know saw her alive yeah were also her family members mm-hmm. when they dropped her off mm two days on february 12th yes that's what's reported that they they are the ones who dropped her off who dropped her home on february 12th uh-huh. yeah uh-huh. only for her now to be found after in, they had been yeah after, after they, they had, had been, been a family apparently a family meeting about uh, her her relationship their disapproval about her relationship with louis and her borrowing money and i guess sometimes stealing it so yeah very pertinent i think events going on very significant <laughs> um but yeah Absolutely. the the investigation i think was was lacking especially because nothing seems to have moved forward as concerns like a trial or anything along those lines which is strange i remember i remember something odd also about this so this is these are things that have, uh, i have some training in mm-hmm. and it was the government chemist frustration at the investigate at the investigative process because mm. there was a time 
when they had said mm-hmm. they had subpoenaed Luyotiano's mm-hmm. <laughs> fingernails. I remember that. And then <laughs> tell us what happened. <laughs> yeah. So somehow, mm-hmm. and they had gotten them, mm-hmm. but somehow, when that evidence was being presented in the court, it turned out that they were Karin's fingernails. Yeah. And not Luyotiano's fingernails. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, so what's up with that? So there was like contaminated evidence. And then also the fact that they didn't do a thorough investigation at the crime scene. Yeah. It's it's ridiculous to me that they didn't take anything like from the wine glasses or even from her body, you know. To, like yeah, to confirm to confirm the identity yeah. of of like who it was that she had intercourse with. You know, like there's even there even studies that show how the success of solving a case is so dependent on the time. The yeah. longer it takes, you'll either need a full confession or a lot of luck yes. to solve that case. So if they started the inquest four years later, imagine you know, that days after she had been found and the autopsy was done, she was already buried. Yes. She she died, you know, she was buried with a lot of evidence. Yeah. And obviously considering how many people were in that house, you know, because you're seeing the neighbor had access to notebooks. Yeah, then the neighbor contaminated <laughs> The neighbor could see notes in the in her in her notebook. I thought that was really strange. I think we're nearing the end of of the podcast. I think we have shared a lot about already shared a lot about uh, what we already know, talked about the circumstances. I mean, in cases like this I always find them so hard to conclude because I don't know where to end because often it ends it's supposed to end with some kind of conclusion, but there's no conclusion yet um, in this case. So there's that, that's just that feeling of, yeah, there's all this information. They, they are, you know, I think in, in a lot of the, in a lot, lot of the like YouTube videos or forums where I saw it being discussed, people decided to draw conclusion based conclusion, not really conclusions, but to kind of theorize what they thought happened based on what was presented. So I think it's something that you really can't help doing um especially because uh, you know in the end there's no actually like solution or there's no um how can i say it like th- there's nothing you know i thought this you thought this but then this is what actually happened we don't have that last part of like yeah. this is what actually happened um so yeah i think it's it's difficult to conclude but i just want to end it with this like very interesting piece of evidence that was said to be presented to the police by the father of Karin Chepchumba and he said it was a letter that uh, Karin had written him I couldn't find information about like when did she write the letter was it you know five months before she passed away a week a few days um, but it's a letter that it, it said that he he, he presented um two weeks after she had died and he took it to the police and um another thing is it was a typed out note but the other notes that yeah. um I th- this actually i had seen as a comment in one of the youtube videos talking about i think a documentary i think it was yeah. a case files documentary and someone had said uh, the father presented a typed out note and you know karine had there was a mention of handwritten notes so it was kind of like hmm it was typed out, yeah. so I guess you know you can't really ask about or discuss the handwriting. So another, hmm. yeah. But uh, I want us yeah. to listen to it because I think 
I, I haven't found it anywhere where it's been where I can read it out myself. Um, so yeah. I'll, I'll play. This is from uh, full the copyright rests with case files. This excerpt I'm about to play, um, um, and it's from the case files episode uh, fourth part of the episode about uh, the murder of Karin Chepchumba. So um, in the in the episode they had someone voice out that letter and. Yeah, this is it. So let me just play it. The letter was addressed to him by the daughter. Dear Dad, I really don't know where to start. I have so much to say. It's been a tough year for you and Mum. The worry I have put you through, the pain, the upset, it has been so hard for the family. All the misery was caused because of my selfish, conflicted and unreasonable behaviour. I've thought about it, and now I know why I chose the path that I did. Why I feel in the love with a man so horrible, so manipulative. A predator who takes advantage of the innocence and vulnerability. Oh, I was young, trusting and unassuming. Why I did not respect you. Why I did these things that hurt you so much. I have stolen, lied, and a host of other unbelievable things that put me into a deep, Pit. I can never take that back. For a long time, I wasn't thinking. I simply did not think, and then it all wasn't wrong. I didn't think about the consequences, the hurt, the pain that you would feel as a result of my actions, and before I knew it, I had done wrong and disappointed you. I'm sorry. I sincerely want to become a much better person, better than what I ever was. The past few months have also been a huge life lesson. I've learnt of things I never knew existed. I'm going to show you how much you mean to me. Do the little things that make you smile inside and out, make you proud. From now on, I will make good decisions which will benefit us all and in the long run, make you a happier man. I love you, Dad. I am to love you more than I ever have. I respect, honour and treasure you and Mum. First, I have, I have so many questions. This is my first time um, hearing that or even reading about it. Yeah. Okay. I just have some questions, then I'll give my thoughts. Yeah. So, so the letter, the other, the other things, the, the other notes that the neighbor found, they were handwritten, right? Yeah, they were in her notebook. It's uh, reported. Okay. That's all, that's all I'm going to say. Okay. Because it is such... I think in the end we'll never really know. I don't think we'll ever really know what happened. But the circumstances yeah. are definitely very interesting. I think it's interesting to see yeah. how like family dynamics can be and how, you know, even with an outward appearance of, you know, affluence, there can be a lot of like, you know, in Kikuyu people say Meshie ne dogo. Like, you know, a lot could be going on. I think it just like talks about a lot, how a lot can be going on in a home, and you you never really know until I guess something really big happens. I also wanted to mention like at the time that the inquest was taking place, uh-huh. Luyotino's fortunes had really taken a downturn, right? Yeah, I mean he was unwell. Actually, even his health, and then this just kind of seemed to add. You know, insult to injury. Yeah. 
this his whole being adversely mentioned again and again and you know he he said something in one of the interviews he's like do you do Kenyans think I'm that powerful that I can actually like kill someone and get away with it and that's like really yeah. it gave me it gave me pause because I was like yeah you know if you've done it you'll be gotten you know they'll catch you yeah um, yeah yeah Uh, you know and of course that comes with a disclaimer if you do something like that uh, i think the odds are not in your favor they, they'll get you i don't know how um do you have any thoughts any anything you just kind of want to say as we i do uh-huh. but i can't because this is going to the public domain okay but um yeah but this case was really upsetting just because you know at the end of it like we can talk and we can also crack a joke here or there but a young lady's life was tragically happened she was just 26 yeah 26 mm-hmm. she, she didn't even know who she was mm-hmm. yeah she was just and, starting out you know like yeah and you know irrespective of whatever mistake she was making or you know what people felt that how she had slighted them yeah really like killing someone is never the answer it is dreadful it is brutal it is life ending and then like how just everyone has failed her everyone for me like when i hear about this case it failed her for me yeah. it, it gave me a lot of pause because yeah. it made me wonder like did you really love this girl was she really loved and protected we are it's a decade it's over a decade now since it's over a since, decade since her mother. she would be 36 years yeah. old Imagine. Imagine. So, so like <laughs> this case I mean I leave it to the audience to just you know to make their own conclusions. Yeah, for sure. Can't make any conclusions. Yeah. I have it. Yeah. So Kevin, yeah. I'm sorry. Rest in peace. That's I think that's a good way to end it. I just want to Um, you've made this episode so so good <laughs> so much better than i think when i'm alone um yeah this is good we should, i think we should do this i mean no for sure and i think we should do this again let's see um yeah but thank you and uh, thank you for listening thank you. um uh, all the sources will be in the in the show notes um yeah Until next time take care of yourselves take care of each other and yeah see you next time bye suicide note found in the dustbin and pills by the side of her table and then now the neighbor overhearing the father saying this looks like an overdose even though like from a forensic background you know you can never say something like that until uh, you've exactly. done some at least at least uh, you know have seen some toxicology or something or something else not just yeah. you know seeing the pills by the side of the table quite only exactly